everyone, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through their depictions on film and television. My name is Sam Chung, and today we're actually going to, like the crown, take a little bit of a step back from the royal family to examine the life of the Alphayeds. Uh, in a recap of The Crown, Season 5, Episode 3, Mumu. And I'm very excited to talk about this one. Uh, low bar to clear, but I think it's the best episode of Season 5 we've gotten so far. And joining me to talk about this episode are my two co-hosts. First, a man who I think is very deserving of two names. It is Ivan Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, what do you say to that? Uh, uh, sure. Sure. <laughs> also, back with us today... Also deserving of two names, Carlin, Carlin Greenwald. And Carlin, when you're buying a department store to get a better seat at the dressage, has something in your life gone horribly wrong? I don't think so. If you have enough money to like pay to I'd get a seat. I'd say it's gone horribly right. Yeah, what do you mean? That's like the best position to be in. You can like force people to be your friend. If you already have the money and you're not going to give it to charity, uh, that's what you do. <laughs> but you're paying, essentially, you're paying $600 million for a seat four rows ahead of where you were before. I guess. But then you also get a department store. And how cool would that be? And the queen I won't would even love sit to have an old-timey department store. <laughs> that sounds so good. Isn't this what people were doing in the Taylor Swift pre-sales? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I would rather controversial opinion i would rather get a department store than a taylor swift ticket so i think it's worth it i don't think that's a controversial opinion oh oh i don't know i, I guess it know. depends who you ask <laughs> have you seen how much these tickets are going for a lot a probably lot more than harrods my wife <laughs> got some and i i i think she should sell them but she says that's not the mark of a true fan so i guess that's oh, i mean how she you know. could easily get nordstrom for that <laughs> oh definitely Oh, definitely. I mean, she could get Sears at least. Yeah, maybe a I Macy's. Mean... <laughs> maybe a... What else is left? Saks Fifth Avenue. Oh, that's that's pushing it. Those guys are still doing pretty well. Yeah, that's pretty ritzy. Okay, before we dive too deep into this episode, we like to just disclaim that if you came here for any sort of factual clarity about the royal family or about really anything that we saw today, you came to the wrong place because we don't know. We are not historians. We did not go to school for this. We literally just watched The Crown and we're talking about it. And we're going to assume that everything that we saw in this episode, you know, that's the way that it happened because that's the way they portrayed it. And we're going to go from there. So uh, to get things kicked off, Ivan, can you give us a quick recap of The Crown 503 Mumu? Would love to. Yeah. So this episode uh, spanned decades and generations. It starts in 1946 in Egypt, where a young Mohammed Al-Fayed witnesses the former uh, uh, King Edward uh, pay a visit uh, to the country. And this uh, really kind of begins his reverence for uh, not just the royal family, but elite society. So, uh, you know, decades later, his entrepreneurial spirit has made him a, a very wealthy and successful businessman, a alongside some of his brothers, as well as his son, uh, Dodi Al-Fayed. Uh, they buy the Ritz Hotel in Paris. Uh, they have a bit of a celebratory party. And this is where Mohammed uh, ends up uh, meeting Sidney Johnson, who is a former uh, valet to uh, King Edward himself. 
So uh, this leads uh, uh, Muhammad to hire uh, Sidney, teach him the ways of the British gentleman so he himself can get better um, initiated into that type of society uh, in the hopes of uh, kind of getting closer to uh, the royal family and perhaps even one day meeting the queen herself. Uh, he has a pretty long and harrowing journey to get to this point. Uh, there is a big step forward when uh, the, the former Duchess of Windsor, Wallace Simpson, passes away, which leads to Muhammad buying the uh, Villa Windsor outside of Paris, where the Duke and the Duchess used to reside. This uh, leads to his first con uh, kind of missed connection with the royal family, wherein he gives a lot of uh, David's old possessions back to the royal family, but he does not get to meet the queen in the process. Eventually, he also purchases the department store Harrods, where the royal family is known to be frequent customers, and becomes a sponsor of a uh, horse-related event that the queen attends, uh, pays a premium price to be able to sit next to her, uh, only to be basically snubbed by her, uh, but he does get to meet Diana instead, and they have a bit of a meet-cute, and Diana also briefly meets Dodie. So that is uh, Season 5, Episode 3, Moo Moo. Thank you, Ivan. Yeah, I thought this was a super interesting episode, and they portrayed this guy, Mohammed Al-Fayed. He's a super complex guy. He's obviously very wealthy. He's a very hard worker. He really idolizes the British, but he's very racist. He uh, he's clearly like a social climber. So I don't know. Does that make him a complex guy or is he actually a very simple man? He he definitely has layers because, uh, you know, from one scene uh, to another, he's either really funny and endearing or just like kind of cringy and repulsive, uh, sometimes in the same scene. So, Ivan, it's almost like the writers of The Crown heard you when you said that they would get no cameos until the finale because here they are. Two wow. cameos, <laughs> uh, three episodes in. Yeah, I mean, and this was a very welcome cameo, I will say. Like, seeing David again, uh, albeit uh, just in brief snippets, uh, was really cool. Um, and it kind of feels like we are we continue to learn more and more about him, uh, even post-mortem. Uh, and, uh, you know, this time we got to see, like, a, a cool, nice side of him and, and not the, uh, you know, kind of side of him that's rubbing elbows with the nazis although we still do get mention of his rubbing elbows with the nazis we we definitely we get a reminder that. yes yeah i will say though i so it was cool seeing david did i feel like david might have actually gotten more screen time than claire foy oh yeah for sure yeah he, he definitely. had several scenes i didn't love seeing wallace's death scene that was probably something i could have done without that was intense even by the crown standards oh yeah oh my god <laughs> That was like some crazy contortion um, as he's trying to like visually display arthritis. So yeah, could have done probably without that part of the cameo. But the other parts of the cameo, pretty fun. Yeah, yeah I mean, David's a fashion icon. Like, we'll at least give him that. No, I just thought it was really sweet. Like, it was, you don't really think of any of the royals as someone who would like mentor anyone, let alone like someone who is not black. high society born and black. Like that, you can't. Like it's just you're like, wow. I mean, you know, are there layers to this? Yes, but you're like, okay, he did take the time to really like teach this man a lot, and it clearly did help him later in life to get other jobs with rich people. 
One thing that's never uh, quite explained is how uh, Sydney got to a point where he was no longer under the employment of uh, uh, Wallace Simpson uh, following David's death. Like you, you oh, would think yeah. that he would be able to just kind of stay with her and take care of her during her uh, final years. And there was the fact that he was a member of the the horse club, the fancy people club. Yeah. Whatever they were I, no, going to all the time. Yeah, like, I mean... Yeah, this was like toward the end, but like nothing uh, was more satisfying than like Sydney's look of annoyance when he was being asked for his membership card with the assumption that he wouldn't have one and him just being like, oh my God, all right, <laughs> here you go, yeah. idiot. Yeah. Um, my assumption was that Sydney was definitely more David's kind of guy, not Wallace's guy. So I feel like probably when David died, that was probably it. Like Wallace, I feel like he didn't really interact with Wallace all that much. He was really kind of like David's, you know, I set David's schedule morning till night. Uh, speaking of Wallace's passing, does it seem strange that the royal family attended her funeral? I did find that strange. <laughs> Maybe it was a PR thing. They just had to attend. Yeah. Well. Well. So she was. She was brought back to the UK to be buried, like next to David, who presumably gets like a pretty, uh, like fancy burial plot somewhere, right? Yeah. yeah and we saw war? his death as well. And I feel like they made a big deal about like, oh, should we go? Should we not go to mm -hmm. David's mm. to David's funeral? Yeah. Why'd they go? <laughs> yeah. So, and on that note, um, I, I guess the. The one thing about this episode that stands out is the fact that we see a lot of events uh, that occur uh, between the late 70s and throughout the 80s. Uh, during some time frames that would have taken place in season four of The Crown. Uh, however, uh, those events through the royal family's perspective are depicted with the current cast which I found very distracting. Oh, that's weird. I also, yeah, I found that a little bit confusing because, yeah, the timeline just was very confusing. I would yeah, have I appreciated was... if they had brought back Olivia Coleman at all. I mean, speaking of <laughs> gratuitous cameos, like, yeah, yeah, can you imagine if they had just, like, surprise gotten back the entire season three slash four cast for just a couple of scenes? Well, I, why wouldn't they? They seem to do it for everything else. <laughs> Come on, guys. Yeah, I, I, I guess... That is the one thing about this episode that didn't sit well with me. The Crown is known to tell events out of order, uh, you know, quite frequently. But this seems like they really had to stretch far back and kind of cover a lot of ground that they missed. And yeah, is is there, given the fact that the only reason they are introducing the Al Fayeds now is because we know the role that they are eventually going to play later on with Diana, just based off of what we know in real life. And is there any reason that this episode couldn't have taken place in season four? Hmm, I guess I assumed we would have forgotten who these people were. I mean, I liked having kind of like a full arc of Mohammed. If, if this was stretched out across multiple episodes, I'd be like, okay, let's, you know, let's get back to the, the main story here. But I feel like if you contain it to one story, you're like, okay, we stepped outside of the royal family for this moment and now we can step back in in the next episode yeah and in fairness season four was very dense there was there was little to no filler and probably little to no real estate to tell this story yeah and i guess it has to do with i wonder if that's the first time mohammed actually met a member of the royal family was during this one specific horse event that would have happened in the season five timeline 
Well, it's interesting because he he mentions Diana that he's friends with her father, Lord Spencer. So presumably he's been running in high society circles for for quite some time now. But yeah, it it almost seems strange that it would have taken him that long to finally you know make it to the final boss battle. <laughs> and then he doesn't even meet the boss. No, the boss gives up. Yeah, I just want to know if he ever does. Like now, I'm invested in him meeting the queen. And it didn't happen. I did think that the pacing of this episode was a little bit weird because it was almost like we got two introductions to Mohammed Al-Fayed. We get his 1946 introduction, and then they're like, not good enough. Let's give him his 1979 introduction <laughs> and show like these two very like important moments to kind of like establish who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it it was strange because I mean later on obviously through Sydney you see how these two stories uh, are intertwined between uh, you know the Duke and and Muhammad, but I remember uh, you know the in the pre credits part of the episode uh, you know you you see David and Wallace uh, from afar from Muhammad's perspective and then you get a scene of them kind of in private uh, deliberating hiring Sydney full time and I remember thinking like why are we seeing the scene like why why are we getting any events through uh, the Duke's perspective, and yeah, it it felt a it felt a little choppy. Like uh, until it kind of clicked into place later, I couldn't quite tell why they were making the choices they did. All right, I want to talk about. I feel like we can we can t- touch upon this like way flashback to 1946 for a second because it's kind of I guess this is here really to establish how much Mohammed uh, really admires British high society and how much he really wants to be a part of it. His dad is like, these people who see the British as gods, I feel sorry for them. And Mohammed is like, but they are. <laughs> and it's just kind of sad, um, yeah, you know, yeah. how colonialism has affected his life and what he deems to be important and how he'll kind of always be chasing this idea of what power is. And he's just, you know, the gates, there's such, you know, hard gatekeeping that he's never really going to reach it. Yeah, it, it's interesting because, you know, he gets all the way to this end point of meeting the queen at the end of the episode. And, you know, there's a couple of reasons why that doesn't happen. Um, one being, I don't know, maybe racism. Two, uh, the queen was excited to see uh, Margaret and an off-screen porchy. And three... Uh, <laughs> Like there seems to be some kind of like old money versus new money tension in play here. Definitely. And it turns out new money is from selling Coca-Cola. That's all you need to do. That's how it starts. I got some Kendall Jenner vibes from this Coca-Cola interaction. (laughs) I know it was Pepsi, but. (laughs) I have to assume that was real because otherwise, why would they do that? (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. Walk me through this. I mean, I know that I know which Pepsi ad you're referring to, but what's the connection? Well, it's. Here, there's a fight between two classes of people. There's a fight between this rich guy, but then they come together and there's just that shot of like one person offering another a bottle of Coke and then they come together and then everything is good. Well, I guess. I mean, where'd that wife go? But I see like, like, I mean, that was a spite offering. I didn't see it as a spite offering. It was a mutually beneficial arrangement. It was, but it was also like Muhammad like throwing his weight around a little bit because like the, 
you know, the rich brother of Muhammad's uh, eventual wife, you know, tries to kind of get him in on the scheme, but take 70% of the profits himself. And Muhammad's like, oh, no way. I'm not going to let you look down on me. I'm, I'm going to go back to being like, you know, the best uh, street vendor there ever was. And then only when the guy compromises and does 50-50, uh, Muhammad's like, all right, I'll give you a day in court. Here's a Coke. And then he gets rich and then he buys a hotel. Well, I mean, he does. Yeah, he does marry the sister. Yeah. Get rich. I guess divorce the sister. They had a kid. You know, he got the full package for a while. And I'm assuming that's how he had the money to eventually buy the Ritz, right? It's through his ex-wife. I mean, we yeah, we we don't fully know. Uh, and and I, I will say, like, as little as I know about the royal family, I, I know even less about the Al-Fayeds. Like, I, I know about Muhammad. I know about Dodi. I know about their connection to Diana. That is all I know about them. And so, like, I'm I'm just kind of learning as I go here. But I will say. I did like this episode a lot. I was haven't been the biggest fan of, of the season so far based off the previous two. Um, I think there's definitely uh, some cracks in the foundation of the writing quality. And I feel like it was on kind of full display right before the credits. Uh, uh, after Muhammad and his wife, Mary, she has uh, Dodie. And there's that moment where Muhammad's holding his uh, newborn infant and, you know, saying like, your name is, and then he, you know, lists out his full name. And I remember yelling at the TV at that point saying, don't do it, don't do it, <laughs> but I shall call you Dodie. I'm like, ah! <laughs> I mean, and then Dodie wasn't even the focus of the episode. Wait, which, which, which makes that moment like even dumber because like, that I mean, yeah, that moment really hinges on you knowing the significance of like Dodie down the line. But to yeah. to the to the completely uninitiated, it's like, oh, okay. I do feel like we know enough though to know that Dodie will become a factor down the line. I have two points that I, I, I was saying. I think the fact that we don't know that much, even still, about Muhammad Al Fayed is kind of the point, right? Like when he goes into the um the negotiation to buy the hotel. That's kind of this woman's point. And obviously there's racism behind that as well. But she's like, no one knows who you are. No one knows where your money comes from. Is it from the bank? Right. Has the bank approved you? Who are you? You're very mysterious. She's like, and I felt like it was almost an insult when she was asking like where he was from. And he had to be yeah. like, no, I'm Egyptian. But also to the point about Dodie, I really enjoyed Dodie, even though he wasn't a lot in this episode. When he said, I have, um, I have ideas hilarious <laughs> just the, the amazing little nepotism baby moment oh my god yeah incredible i didn't know they um did anything in film though that was kind of cool again again neither did i knew nothing about them so uh and eventually it was the reveal that they were making chariots of fire i was like whoa have you seen chariots of fire no <laughs> no I... I also have not seen chariots of fire but apparently it is an Oscar-winning film, a la The King's Speech. Should we add Chariots of Fire to our post-season five slate? Sam, <laughs> I had this exact same thought. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the answer is no. <laughs> I realize it has nothing to do with the royal family besides this loose connection of them being the financiers. I mean... Yep. 
Since Raiders of the Lost Ark was mentioned, can we just recap that one instead? Yeah, there was like that mention of Lucasfilm and you're like, Lucasfilm in my crown? (laughs) What a collision of worlds. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's talk about this party. So there's a party after Mohammed buys the hotel, the Ritz in Paris, and two key things happen here. He sees Haney from Finland and he's like, that woman. Um, and she, I guess, will become his wife eventually. And also, Sydney is there, and he wants Sydney to go away because he's a racist. But mm-hmm. he makes Dodie do it because Dodie only exists to do Mohammed's dirty work. We saw in the hotel negotiation, even though he knows how to speak English, he does the classic move of, I will speak in my language and make this person translate into English. Uh, to create distance between myself and the person with whom I'm trying to negotiate. Mm-hmm. Power move. Power move. Um, but little does he know, Sydney is a guy who knows some people. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, Sydney. There was one thing about that moment uh, at the party that didn't quite make sense, and that was uh, like how Dodie came to find out uh, about Sydney's background. Because he only had, you know... Uh, a five second exchange with him to to dismiss him and then he comes back and he tells muhammad like oh yeah so like let me let me tell you his wikipedia page um it was strange though because like if dodi had already been in possession of that information you would have you would think that he would have like brought that up as pushback to muhammad's request and said like but you know dad don't you know who that is yeah i i mean i feel like probably some dots were connected afterward you know, once he's sent away and someone's like, why did you send that person away? Obviously, it all happens off screen, but... Yeah, they kind of just had to make it as bad as possible. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's just like, yeah, this guy is a racist until he learns that Sydney can be helpful to him. And then he's like, oh, actually, <laughs> let's get that guy mm-hmm. back in here. Oh, man. Yeah. Because what Mohammed, we learned, wants most of all is to become a god like the British... And so who better to teach him how to be a god than the personal valet to the former king of England, David, who left the position in in shambles. Mm -hmm. That's the guy who can teach me all I need to know. He'll teach me how to read Kipling. Yeah, but the the thing (laughs) the thing about David is like he is, you know, zero percent responsibility and 100 percent style. I, I, I think he would be the guy to learn it from. Well, here's the thing. At least David reads. I was looking at that list of books and you're like, I don't think anyone else in that family has read even that number of books, let alone all those guys. But the authors are also racist. Well, they are. <laughs> yes. Yes. But under the assumption that all the royal family probably reads racist material anyway. When when Sydney form. was, uh, you know, assigning all of the reading to Muhammad and Muhammad just had this like you know, deer in the headlights look where he was like, oh man, this is going to be some work, isn't it? And he had like, <laughs> he was in no position to say no because he had asked Sydney to like give him exactly like the same, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, mentorship and, and education that David had given Sydney. That was kind of satisfying to see that sort of like the tables turned and, and the butler being like, all right, this is what you got to do. No yeah. exceptions. Yeah. What is a Cerise baseball cap? So it's not just certain material, like it's not as um stiff. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm assuming. Is it not like a little newsboy cap? I don't know. I liked the idea that David um is like a big film watcher of his golf swing. 
before that's even like you know modern technology he's watching like <laughs> it's probably like 10 frames a second like super choppy i didn't know he liked golf that much me either Gee. yeah i didn't know he liked socks that much <laughs> so many things we learn about this man like if if david were still around today uh, he would be hosting a podcast sponsored by bombas yeah weird little layers to david that you don't think I it can. would you don't think it would be like levi's or something because he says for the country jeans and, and and shirts with freedom and ease and i don't think i've ever seen any of the royals wear jeans wouldn't it all be british <laughs> um brands or like european brands i don't think he wears american jeans what do you mean he hates the british this is a wallace oh, yeah. move no he, wallace he's, is a <laughs> he's like a self-hating british lover well also when when have we seen him in the quote-unquote country <laughs> never when i guess any what is the country jeans? to him <laughs> like did they like, ever wear jeans i don't remember them, them wearing jeans. jeans they don't wear jeans david seems like a city boy like he 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 seems like he likes to be like where the action is but he loves golf well i guess there's golf courses in sort of the city i don't actually know where are the golf courses in england scotland they're in scotland they're, yeah right. they're in scotland st andrews there you um, go all right, so Mohammed goes to this dressage event, and he thinks right away, I'm going to speak to the queen here, but he's nowhere close, and this feels like something that he could have known before, co- before going to the event. He has his hope. And, and, and again, I think in this scene, t- which takes place like at the start of the 80s, uh, we, we've got, like a, again, like early season four era queen being played by you know the the current actress and it's just weird again it it was just so distracting because i was like this doesn't make sense like this is like weird continuity porn i don't like it if olivia coleman was unavailable should they have just hologrammed her face onto amelda staunton's face (laughs) well this uh, this actually brings me to to an important point which is I, i don't think you needed any of the scenes from the royals perspective in this episode like, in fact, I actually think it would have been more effective if they were almost entirely absent from it up until the very end to show, like, the the level of, like, distance that Mohammed still has from, like, this elite tier of society. Like, you could have you could have shown uh, the queen sitting down in the first row from Mohammed's perspective, but, like, you could have just shown her back. Like, you, you like, we did not need to see anything uh, that highlighted her at all. Oh, absolutely. And it would, because it just feels like, that makes sense thematically. And also, they're so good about continuity. Like, they keep getting the same David actor back. Like, I'm sorry. You can't do You can't be so perfect and then mess up here. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, especially, I mean, that scene uh, at Buckingham where they are, you know, deliberating whether to visit Villa Windsor and, and go grab that stuff. Like, again, you can just delete that scene. And then the reveal that the queen herself did not show up in person, but just sent her private secretary instead, that would have been even more scathing to, to both Mohammed and the, the viewers. You didn't like no, sure. seeing Queen Mother be like, that belongs in the Royal Gallery <laughs> over and no, over again. This, this, this was the wrong Queen Mother. Like, <laughs> Queen Mother is, is not this decrepit at this point in time. It's so true. <laughs> Why do they do this? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I did think it was interesting, though, seeing the way that that arc played out throughout the entire episode. And at the end, Queen Elizabeth being like, oh, well, I guess I did a good thing. It worked out. They're friends. <laughs> oh and that's gonna cause her a little bit of trouble down the line yeah but uh yeah no ma'am <laughs> come on you gotta sit with that guy 
Yeah, I mean, like, she likes Harrods, right? Maybe she's never going to Harrods again. She needs a new department store. I mean, honestly, store. with those guys, Selfridges. I would believe it. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about uh, they buy Villa Windsor. I mean, Sydney buys it because he's feeling sentimental and he feels, you know, uh, an emotional connection to this place that's been his home for a very long time. Mohammed buys it because he sees it purely as an opportunity to get closer to the British royal family. They renovate this place. They buy all of the possessions inside that were going to go to the French government. So, yeah, I guess what would the what would the royals have done if Mohammed had not stepped in and bought all this stuff? Would they have like fought with the French officials to I get this so. stuff back? Uh, yeah, I, I would imagine that you know had Mohammed not interfered like it probably would have just like ended up in a museum somewhere right yeah probably yeah and then the, the the british would have gotten a taste of their own medicine and so they do all this work fixing it up they reach out to buckingham palace and they invite the queen over and the queen sends over her secretary he takes everything then at the end sydney is like i get how you must feel like this is how david used to feel when dealing with his family and mohammed actually doesn't feel bad about this he's like this was great <laughs> i did something good for them well hold on though uh, like is he just saying that though like it, it seems like he was trying to like maintain his composure and not let on how pissed off and disappointed he was i i think he was just saving face hmm. i don't think he needs to save face to his son and to his you know valet I, no, I, th I, I think he does because I think he's trying to like inflate his own like self-worth and the contribution he's made to, to the royal family. I, I think like he he's kind of trying to deny reality in this moment a bit. But this is like the first time that they've really snubbed him. I feel like at the at the dressage event, then it's like, OK, this is annoying. But I do feel like this being the first time, it does feel a little bit it does feel genuine. And knowing how much he just like idolizes where the British stand in society, like, I do feel like this was something that he was actually feeling like he had done a good job. Yeah, I kind of, I do agree with Sam. I think it's like a highlight of his own, like, tragic flaw in that he has this sort of blindness toward the royal family that, like, I'm sure inside he did feel angry, but, like, the denial is so strong that he's just like, you know what, no, like, this is just a stepping stone, like, I can keep going, these people are still amazing, this is still worth pursuing, I didn't, like, waste my time. I, yeah, I don't rule out that interpretation, but again, like, this guy was waiting for the queen to show up at his doorstep that day, and she didn't. Yeah, but if he really wanted her to, he could have withheld the letters, right? Like, these are his possessions. I feel like if he, he could have forced it, right? But no, he's like, no, 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 no. No, he couldn't have, because if he had done that, then I think that like he would have burned bridges that that would have yeah. been the end, the end of his like uh, budding relationship to the crown. But he could have personally gone to London with the letters. <laughs> they wouldn't have led him anywhere near Buckingham. These letters, do we think they're immediately burned? <laughs> I, I really want to Google if they ended up somewhere in like a, you know, British museum or like a windsor museum well i also wonder like were these letters instrumental to us like having been able to learn as much about david and his thoughts as we have i mean i don't think that i feel like there was probably a lot of evidence that <laughs> you know besides just the letters like the letters are just david's account of his relationships with 
the Nazis, but I feel like on the other side, there was documentation of that as well. Well, well, I'm thinking more in terms of like the the correspondence that he has had with uh, you know many people, uh, some of which have been depicted on the show. Like, were were these letters the reason we know publicly that he used to call Elizabeth Shirley Temple? Oh, that's interesting. That's like crownception, where like we get the actual backstory to why we have information in the show. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. The answer is yes. I, I'm gonna interpret it that way. Okay, so Sydney dies. And at the end of Sydney's life, Mohammed is actually taking care of him. So even though he's a racist, he will take care of his black friend. Was a racist? Uh, uh, is still he still alive? alive? <laughs> yeah, he's still alive. Oh, he's still alive? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. He's just an old dude. So yes, it is. He's got to be super old because in 1946, he was portrayed as what? Like, a, he seemed like he was like 20 years old at least. Yeah, or maybe in his teens, possibly. Like That puts him like... Almost 100 years old. No, no. That puts him at like 90, early 90s. That puts him at uh, least mid-90s. <laughs> he is 93 years old. Called it. <laughs> yep. Man's still going. Wow. Okay. Is a racist. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, okay. So, yeah, Sydney dies, and Sydney was a good guy. I liked Sydney as a I character. you're supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. All he did, I mean, he really kind of climbed up from his situation and he always, he, he just seemed like a guy who just, you know, did his job with, to the best of his ability and, and did a great job and everybody, everybody liked him. But, but somewhere along the line, there was some kind of downfall that we missed. Cause like, how did he go from being like the, the personal valid of uh, former King Edward to just like passing around hors d'oeuvres at a hotel? Yeah. Well, what is at the end of the day, what is it really going to get you to be valet, like valet to like the former king of England who his fan who has been disowned by his family? <laughs> like, it's not I, like I they're going like to hand you off to. You could at least get a comparable position. What would be a comparable? I guess he eventually position? gets that with Muhammad. Just, just to like you know some some other you know, like high member of society uh, or, you know, some maybe politician or or head of state. Like, it just seems like there'd be openings where he would be extremely qualified. I feel like the Ritz is a better job. Like, it feels like you would have better work-life balance. <laughs> yeah, but he's not, he's not in like a position of like, uh, like uh, you know, power there or anything. He's just passing around hors d'oeuvres. I, like, I, I just want to know how he got to that point because it seems like a long ways away from his previous situation. I don't think we're going to find out, though. No, there's no, no way we're going to find out at this point. Unless there's a movie. Is there a Sydney movie? <laughs> oh, I mean, if there is, like, we're watching that in a heartbeat. Chariots of Fire or the Sydney movie? Oh, yeah. I mean, the Sydney movie, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Sydney movie. No contest. So we get Diana. Diana has also is also trying to get back in Liz's good books. Do we know why? I guess just it has the book. Did the book come out? We think right? it's for the book. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The book probably came out. The book. Was it the previous episode? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That. So def definitely. Yeah. Although, depending on where this is in the timeline, who knows? <laughs> oh, you think True. that this is not sequentially after last episode? It better be. Otherwise, this is very confusing. I, I, I mean, I cannot say for sure. That's the problem. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so Diana shows up, and she is going to be Elizabeth's proxy. I was 
surprised by this because when she was like, when she told her secretary to handle it, I thought he was just going to do it. <laughs> that would be such a snub. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's safe assumption. But yeah, I think it was a cool surprise, a cool reveal. And and by the way, like just an awesome moment for Diana. Like it, it, it was nice to see her doing something that kind of like made her happy and also like highlighted her skills, her, her ability to like build rapport with people like, and you know, the performance from Elizabeth, like Debicki here was like top notch. Like this was like easily one of the best Diana scenes we've seen so far. Yeah, no, absolutely. I just thought it was kind of funny that she definitely seemed like she was flirting with him the whole time. And you're like, wait, this isn't the Alphayed that she dates. <laughs> But but I mean, it, it kind of make I mean, it makes sense why she was doing that. Like yeah, she was yeah. tasked sure. with, you know, like basically uh, putting out a fire and, uh, you know, making a man who has a reason to feel very snubbed right now, uh, you mm -hmm. know, feel better about the whole situation. And, and I think she yeah. did. Like, it, in fact, he probably ended up having a much better time than he would have otherwise. Oh, absolutely. He's lucky. He got the fun one. I'm surprised. Well, I guess I'm not that surprised, but. Like you said, like we said earlier, he's met her father, but it seems like this is the first time that they have met. Yeah, so it must be pretty recent that he met her father, and like, do do we or know? Or she just doesn't hang out with her father. I don't know. Yeah, we learned that her wicked stepmother's nickname is Acid Rain. That's always fun. Mm. Not only did Mohammed buy this uh, buy this department store to sit next to Queen Elizabeth at this one event, he's also brought her a gift bag. And inside the gift bag is a watch and a pen, you creep. <laughs> is there not more? There's more in there, though, that we didn't get to see. I want to know. I imagine it's just bag. those two things. <laughs> no way. He was putting way more than those two things in that gift bag. It sounds like the start to an escape room. No, there, oh there, was, there was definitely lingerie in there. <laughs> oh, my God. Terrible. All right. So, but this is it. We, we do see a very, very brief interaction between Dodie and and diana and dodie snubs her he does he says i can't i can't sit with you i'm hanging out with my friends like what the hell your friends probably suck and then even when he's hanging out with his friends you see him looking like i made a big mistake yeah, he did he did make he a big did. mistake he made a huge mistake ivan do you think we should have seen porchy was an off-screen mention not enough that was such bullshit <laughs> Imagine like, you're just like, looking off into like blankness, like, oh, Porchy, I gotta go. Yeah, I mean, why, why even mention him if if you're just gonna deny us? Yeah, we've seen two generations of Porchies. Porchy has been one of, one of the people who have grown throughout the show with us. Where's the third generation? How? Yeah, how could they? They find another old man. Can you really not find another old man there's to play no Porchy? There's no other old British men that they, no, <laughs> they could have played this person. I would have played Porchy. <laughs> oh my god should we talk about the filming of chariots of fire do we no, know anything about it we're we're very <laughs> underqualified for that um well we get there and <laughs> mohammed is like what is this there's no women this is a film set he's, he's like, like what does he think like, Dodi does? where are the girls <laughs> what does oh he think god. happens on a film set he doesn't know about sexism in hollywood guys I'm sorry. I guess they did get a mention in the acceptance speech, though. That was nice. Do you think they have to do that? Like, because then if they don't say that, they can't get financing for another film. Well, it sounds like this this movie wouldn't have existed without them. So, yeah, I, I think that that's part of the reason they 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 threw their support behind it so that they can 
expand their brand, which uh, they successfully did. Learning about the plot of the movie just gives Mohammed another opportunity to be racist. So that's always fun. <laughs> oh my god, these people. Uh, yeah. Do we think we'll see more of Mumu? Uh, and if so, how how much more throughout the rest of the season? Well, we kind of know there's a certain plot line that's coming up that uh, does involve him. So, some. Ivan, would you like to make a new cameo prediction? How many more cameos will we see in season five? Like as in appearances from actors from previous seasons? Correct. So we, I mean, so far the count is two, right? I mean, uh, yeah. three, I guess, if you count Wallace. Oh, oh true. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, oh, I mean, at that rate, let's let's go ahead and say two more. Two more. Okay. All right. Carlin, over or under two? Mm, I guess I'll say under two. By that, I mean one. <laughs> You, you you don't you don't have to mean one. You can keep keep it like broader. Yeah, you can say one. You're warm boxing yourself in. Yeah. <laughs> Both of I those... don't want to mean zero. It's it's one. I'm going one. Okay, you could go zero though. And if we were playing Price is Right rules, one would also win. Mm. You also didn't need to pick a number. You could have just said under. Ah, uh, well. Shall we do the Kinky Crown Award? Let's do it. Go for it. Show me what you got. Okay, Sam first. Oh, geez. Uh, I, I wanted you to go first. Both of mine are like interpreting, but they are good. And no, I no, have to no, pick no. You, one. You get so one. I need you, you to get go one. first. Okay, mine is just, uh, I think mine has to be just filming all those guys' legs, just running down the beach. Oh, like a foot fetish thing? Yeah, absolutely. And it was okay. in slow motion too. Right, okay. Yeah. Carlin? Okay, so mine was like definitely Diana hardcore flirting with um, Muhammad at the horse thing. Gonna go with that. Any specific aspect of that? Oh, mm. like any line in particular that you really that you really mm. sort of grasped? I'm blanking on all the things they said. I guess that repetition joke. Let's go with that. There's absolutely nothing kinky about giving a sponsor some attention, so I'm gonna give it to the feet. <laughs> yeah, I fine. <laughs> Congratulations, Sam. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I would like to thank Dodi Al-Fayed for financing Chariots of Fire. <laughs> Without that having happened, I would never have won this Kinky Crown Award. That's true. I can't believe like, you won for another movie. 30 years, 30 years later, that award keeps on giving. <laughs> well, that is what we have for you on The Crown Season 5, Episode 3, Mumu. Next week, we will be diving into The Crown Season 5, Episode 4, Annis. Horribilis. And that, I feel like, must translate to a horrible year. Uh, between a fire at Windsor Castle and tensions in her children's marriages, the queen commemorates and reassesses her 40 years on the throne. This feels like a reunion special rather than a, mid <laughs> than a mid-season episode of The Crown. Perhaps some cameos coming up. Mm. I mean, yeah, if she's looking back at 40 years, would you be upset if Olivia Coleman was in that episode and she was not in this episode. Yes, I would <laughs> be very upset. Uh, we definitely needed her more here. Or we needed none of them, is the, is the consensus. We needed yeah, either yeah, yes. more of them or none of them. Yeah, and I, I would actually kind of lean toward none of them. Again, I, I think the episode would have been stronger with as little royals in it as possible. And then maybe you could have gotten more information about uh, some of the gaps that you wanted to fill in, like... How many Cokes did Mohammed sell to make his fortune? That is my deepest and most burning question, yes. 
But it's good to know that even back in 1946, a Coke could bring two people together. At what point did they take the cocaine out of the Coke? <laughs> Probably in the 19 or before the 1900s. I don't know. Um, all right. So that is what we have for you. Uh, Ivan, if people want to talk about The Crown any further with you, and Twitter is still available, uh, is that the best place to reach you? Or would you like to plug something else? Uh, I'll probably sign up for Mastodon soon. So try to find me there. <laughs> what, it, I, what is Mastodon? Haven't figured it out yet, but <laughs> all, all the cool kids are threatening to go there. Okay. Uh, Carlin, what about you? Um, Twitter at Carlin Greenwald, Instagram at Carlin underscore GEE. All right. And you could find me on Twitter at Sir Sam Chung. The best place to reach us for now is still Twitter at Crown Around Pod. And that's all we got for you this week. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time. And God save the Queen. God save the Queen. God save the Queen.